I have a six-year-old son, and when he wakes up in the morning, he's not much of a morning person, but he is like a little mini foodie. Like he is, like he has an emotional attachment to the meals that he eats. And so it is a very serious decision that has to be processed in the morning. Is it going to be two waffles or a bowl of cereal? And I mean, like my kitchen table turns into this little situation room, like in the White House, where like there's conversation and there's emotions that have to be worked out in the decision that's being made. And I love being a dad for many reasons, but one of the reasons is because I love dad jokes. And the, and the other morning, because he's not quite awake yet, instead of asking for two waffles or a bowl of cereal, he accidentally asked for two Cheerios. So you know what I did. I got a bowl, I put two Cheerios in it, a little splash of milk, grabbed a spoon, and I set it in front of my half-awake currently emotionally unstable child and just said, let's see what happens. And he didn't quite know if he wanted to pitch a fit or like roll on the floor with laughter. It kind of like swung back and forth between the two sides of that because it was like, no, this is not what I meant. I'm like, well, that's what you said. You said you wanted two Cheerios. I gave you two Cheerios. Eat, let's go. Let's get the morning going. And he's just laughing and says, no, no, no. And it's one of those things that's obviously understood. That was What was intended was not that I wanted just two Cheerios, but I wanted a bowl of Cheerios. Because when you have Cheerios, you have many of them all together. And that's the way that cereal works, Dad. You should know this. And so, you know, we laugh together. I give him the rest of the bowl. The morning goes on. But I'm going to tell you, so often it's like we're trying to work out what we want and what we think think we need and how we think things should go. And so many people, they, they get into the spot where they say, okay, really, I, I know that I'm supposed to be a Christ follower, but I'm going to be a Christ follower just kind of by myself. And I want you to know that the term Christ follower and isolation, they don't work well together. As a Christ follower, you were given a calling to be part of a church, a body. You were given a gift to use in that body. And What scripture teaches us is the spiritual gift that God gave you to use. He didn't give it to you for your benefit, but for the benefit of other people. And so when you are not where you're supposed to be in your local body, in your church, other people are deprived of the gift that God gave you for them. And so often we get into isolation because we think we can be spiritually healthy in isolation. I'm going to tell you scripturally, you can't. Often we'll get into isolation because we think, You know, I'm not regressing. I'm not moving forward either. I'm just kind of staying put in my faith and I'm just going to kind of be by myself. We don't grow spiritually when we isolate ourselves. We actually will regress backwards. And if you think that you can find healing while you're in hiding, you can't. You find healing in community. Scripture says when we confess our sins to one another, we will be healed. Healing even happens in community as well. And today we're getting into a passage regarding King David. And King David is a very interesting person. And last week when we were on this series, the week before Easter, we looked at David and Goliath, which is a story that almost every one of us can tell you about. And as we get into that story, one of the things that stands out is David is this young boy. He doesn't have armor. He doesn't have experience. He's not even supposed to be there at the battle lines. He doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have people's respect, but he ends up being the one that slays the giant. And and, and we look at David and we're like, oh, you're amazing. We look at King Saul, who's there on the battle lines. He's like, he didn't have the faith to do it. 
And that's where David was, but David is arriving at a very different point in this passage. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting at verse 1. And it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if you caught the fact that this is the time that the kings go out to war, that the army went out to war, but David made a decision to stay at the palace. David was somewhere between 40 years old and 58 years at this point. And I want to remind you of the truth that some of you know, 40 is not that old, all right? Not that I have some skin in that game, but it's not that old. David wasn't past the time of fighting, but even if you look in David's history, you'll see that even when he was a boy, a child, too young to be in the fight, he had the faith at that time to say, it doesn't matter if I'm as big as you, as old as you, it doesn't matter if I have armor, it doesn't matter if I have a sword, it doesn't matter if I have position or respect, this is something that has to be done, I'm going to go and do it even if everyone else is afraid. That's where David was, but now where David is, is he's sending other people out to fulfill his responsibilities, and he's staying home. And I want to tell you, David was given a gift of leadership, a gift of worship, a gift of faith. And he's put the car in park right now. Scripture uses the illustration of how we get better in Proverbs where it says iron sharpens iron. And it's like, so, so, so a man is with another. That when we're with each other, that the interaction with each other will sharpen us and make us better and make us stronger. I, I wanna talk about David this way and maybe talk about you, talk about me as well. Um, that iron rusts from neglect, but it's sharpened by resistance. Iron rusts from neglect, but it's sharpened by resistance. And if we're compared to iron, right now, David is sitting back and neglecting his calling and neglecting his gift. And so often we will draw back from the place that we're supposed to be because we think, oh, I need to get myself healthier. I need to get myself happier. I need to draw back into isolation and and I'm gonna improve myself that way. And I'll tell you, scripturally speaking, experiencing resistance is actually going to sharpen your faith It's going to sharpen your mind. It's going to make you a better Christ follower when you're actually in the difficult situations. But when you regress back into isolation, you're going to experience that rusting. Not only that, you're going to find yourself in situations where you experience temptations that you wouldn't have experienced if you were where where God needed you to be at the time. If you were at the place that you needed to be with the community of Christ followers, you would be exempt from experiencing some of the temptations that we experience when we get out by ourselves. It's, this passage is so interesting because it's like David becomes Goliath. Like the one who fought Goliath just became Goliath. David has become such a big shot that instead of going out to war, he stays home. He has become so big in his own eyes that while people are fighting for him, he's at home in the palace taking naps. I mean, verse two says, says this, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of his palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. 
Now, David, who is supposed to be out there with the armies, he's at home having a siesta on the daily. And after his afternoon siesta, he goes out and he sees a woman of unusual beauty. Now, I just first of all want to stop and make sure that we see the comparison here. That if he was where he needed to be, he would have never even encountered this temptation. And so often it happens in our life. Proverbs talks about not even walking down the way of the wicked. When we put ourselves into situations like this, where we know we're already in the wrong place, we will experience temptation. And so there's certain roads we don't go down to avoid it. And there's certain places that we keep ourselves so that we're not exposed to that temptation. And so David, the one who said, it doesn't matter if I have the armor, it doesn't matter if I have the sword, I'm gonna trust God for the results. He's now sitting back because he doesn't need to do that. He has other people to do that for him now. He sees another woman and though he has not just one wife, but many wives, he becomes interested. And it could have stopped when he saw something he wasn't supposed to see. He could have just gone, oh, not supposed to see that and walked away and it could have stopped there. But instead he inquired more information and he let his mind dream and he found out who she was. And you know what? It could have stopped there at the point where he found out who she was. But he made another decision. He said, hey, go bring her to me. I want, I want to see her in person. And so servants went and they brought her. And it could have stopped there. He could have sent her home. That is another man's wife. Not only is that another man's wife, it is the wife of a man who is currently out on the battlefield fighting for me right now. That could have been enough in David to say, that's where it stops. But here's the thing about temptation. The more that you let your mind rest on it, the more that you think about it, the more that you view and put yourself in proximity of your temptation, the more difficult it becomes to resist that temptation. This is taught in scripture as well in psychology and biology. I've learned some strange facts about the human body because as my wife has been on the road to get her, her degree, she's a nurse practitioner. She has a master's in nursing. She, one of the ways she got through studying was having me read note cards to her, probably for entertainment because I can't pronounce half of the words on the cards that she made me hold in front of her. But one of the times we were studying what's, what's called a positive feedback loop and a negative feedback loop in the human body. And a negative feedback loop works like this. When you're hungry, if you just eat a little bit of food, you'll be less hungry and it'll diminish the desire for food if you just eat a little bit. But some things like sexual arousal, if you see something that, that begins to stir something up in you, it, create, it doesn't satisfy anything. It actually creates a larger desire within your body. And so you look a little bit longer, the desire for it gets bigger. The appetite doesn't get satisfied. You dream about it, you think about it a little bit later, you walk by the other person's desk, you have more interaction, you put their, your hand on their shoulder and you begin to open the door for greater and greater desire. And there's something in our head that just says, oh, if I just interact a little bit, then it'll quench that thirst. It doesn't. And just like in this situation with David, where he progressed one step to the other, it became more and more difficult. And this is why scripture tells us to flee from sexual immorality. 
Don't allow yourself to be near it. Put distance between you and it because the more that you're around that, the greater your appetite becomes for it, which leads you down this path of destruction. And David believed the lie that he could just do whatever he wants and he didn't think consequence would come of it. And so he took someone else's wife into his own bed. Though it doesn't make sense and it's so easy to be outside of the pages of scripture and say, David, what are you thinking? I just wanna reach into the words of scripture and shake you and say, wake up, be where you're supposed to be, do what you're supposed to do and honor God in the way that you treat someone else's wife. Don't even look at her that way. Send her back home. But he wasn't making sense in in his mind. Scripture includes this note, which might be too too much information for for some of us in the room. 2 Samuel 11, 4, it it makes note that she just finished her purification rites after her menstrual cycle. She's like, okay, Paul, do you really have to bring that up in a message? Well, you know, this is one of the weird things about people's logic. You know, it's one thing to commit adultery, but you also don't want to become ceremonially unclean when you're committing adultery. Like, I mean, we're, we're going to keep things so that I can get back to the tabernacle and worship whenever I want to. People's decision-making, it, it can be weird. One of the other reasons that's included is because she was highly likely to get pregnant, and she did. And I, I pick on that ceremonially unclean thing, but there's so many things that in our logic, it's like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I... I see so often on social media, someone will be criticizing another pastor because they never criticize me online. It's always someone else. But, you know, this other pastor, you know, didn't wear a suit or he wore a suit or the music was too loud or the music was too quiet and I'm just too holy for this church and I need to find another one because I'm better than this one. And they're sharing all this and it's like, I click on this person to just see who they are. And it's like their second profile picture. They're given like a double bird. And I'm like, What? And I scroll down and like there's profanity in their statuses. And I'm like, what happened to Mr. Holy? Like, like you're so holy over here, but your logic doesn't flow into the way that you speak or what you post and you're cursing about our elected officials and dragging them down. And it's like, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up. Like, why do you care if she's ceremonially unclean or clean? She's not even your wife. And, and I know this thing of like, we operate in this manner that doesn't make consistent sense because I shouldn't have the desire to screenshot that and comment it on it of the person who's criticizing another pastor. I know that's not healthy either, right? There's things in us that doesn't always make sense, which is why it's so important to have scripture involved in your daily routines because you need a renewing of your mind. You have not arrived. Maybe you have some great spiritual victories behind you in life. But if you are not careful, you will become someone like David, who instead of being in the fight that you should have been, you found a whole fight to fight against your own dreams. You you have a sense of like, oh, well, sure, I'm not pursuing that right now. I'm just kind of sitting still right now and I'm resting right now and rest is good. And so I'm not doing anything beneficial, but I'm not doing anything destructive. You find yourself in a situation where you begin to destroy your integrity. You find yourself in a situation where you can't remember the last time you used your spiritual gifts to serve someone else. You find yourself in a situation where your logic doesn't make sense when you're honest with yourself because you'll behave this way around one person and a completely different way around someone else. And when you get into scripture and you allow the spirit of God to speak through you, to you through scripture, it will convict your heart about things. David had reached a point 
where he was not hearing from God. He was not sensing what the Spirit of God was doing in his life. And so when he took Bathsheba into his bed, he made a decision that he appears to think would not affect him. But then when she got pregnant, now it wasn't just about what he was tempted to do, but now his reputation was in danger. So what does David do? He, he comes up with a plan. All right, bring her husband home. We'll, we'll let him go home for a night. He's been away for a long time. He'll, he'll have relations with his wife and then people won't ask questions. But Uriah was such a good man that he said, what? while my brothers are out on the battlefield, how could I possibly go sleep in my own bed? How could I possibly enjoy the comforts while they're out there risking their lives? David was taking naps in his own bed. David was taking other men's wives into his own bed. So when Uriah wouldn't take the bait to protect his reputation, he sent a letter, said, hey, have Uriah out in front, everybody let him die. And it went from temptation to adultery, to deceit, to murder. But it all comes back to just looking at first. Your eyes will take you a long way from home. What you desire in your flesh can get you a far way away from the marriage that you treasure. And it just started with keeping his gaze on something that he should not have been looking at. Actually, no, it started with the decision where he said, I'm not gonna be where I'm supposed to be. One thing about temptation, if you can put James chapter one, verse three up on the screen, make sure you have this clear in your mind about temptation. No one is to say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. When we experience temptation, we don't get to point the finger at God and say, well, God, let me see it. God has given you instruction. He, he has given you everything that you need to be successful, but it's our own flesh, our own desire that draws us in. And that's why it's so important to understand the way that your mind, your body, and your soul work. We don't continue to feed temptation because it will only grow. And then once it's given birth, it gives birth to death in our life. So we need to repair our perspective by the word of God because if we don't, God will eventually interrupt what we're doing. And the way it happened with David is heartbreaking. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan is sent by God to go and confront David. And God wants to get David's attention and so Nathan tells him a parable. And remember, David was a shepherd. David was a really good shepherd. He saw sheep grow up. He, he saw when the, the, the lambs were born, like he saw all of that. Scripture tells us that when a bear or a lion would drag off a sheep, he would be like, 
don't worry, Romeo, I'm going to go get Juliet back. I know you guys are together. Like, I prize the sheep. I'm going to go and I'm going to kill the lion. I'm going to carry back the sheep on my shoulders. I'm going to rejoice that I got it back. I'm going to bring it back. He had that kind of experience where he cared about his sheep. So Nathan comes to him with a parable about sheep. And he says, there was a rich man who had thousands of sheep. And there was a poor person who only had one. But that poor person, they loved that little you. They, they carried it around on his shoulders, let it sleep with him in his bed, called it by name, absolutely loved it. And when the rich man had a guest come in town, he wanted to feed his guest, but he didn't want to waste one of his own sheep. So he went and stole the poor person's. And he slaughtered it and killed it. And it was that person's only little lamb. What do you think of that, David? David freaked out. David said, this is injustice. This is wrong. How could someone do that? What is wrong with people? He needs to pay four times restitution because that's what numbers says that you do if you steal someone else's. This needs to be made right. And Nathan stuck his finger in David's face and said, you are that man. David arrived at a low point. We don't like to be confronted with our wrongdoing and we typically move in one of two directions. Either we run off by ourselves to pretend like it didn't happen, pretend like it's gonna get better if I just avoid the problem, or we run towards God. And David repented. This is one of the main differences that you'll see between Saul in the previous chapters, that when he did things that displeased God, he continued in that path. David repented. But the consequence for his action was real. And God said, the child that you've born with Bathsheba is going to die in seven days. And for seven days, David prayed and he begged God and he wouldn't eat and he laid on the floor and he was in emotional distress. So much so that when the child did pass away, the servants were afraid to tell David that the child passed away because his heart was so wrecked. And when I read, I've read this before, but man, it just, it hit me differently when I read it this week. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12 towards the end of my notes. It says, when the servants told him, then David got up from the ground, he washed himself, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. I want to make sure that you get the order of this. He had just spent seven days begging God to change his mind on something. And God said no. And David's response was to go and worship. I can't even imagine how hard that would be. I can't imagine the types of promises that David probably made to God. God, if you will just do this, then I'll give all of my wealth to build the temple. God, if you just do this, I'll compose the most beautiful worship songs and pass them down to the next generations. God, if you would just, I'll fill in the blank. It's interesting because instead of running from God, even in the face of pain, David chose to run to God. It's interesting as you look at the rest of David's life, David's life, he did those things. 
He did the things that I feel like I would have promised God. He gave his wealth to Solomon to build a temple with. He wrote Psalm 51 in response to this suffering and this experience. Psalm 51 verses 12 and 13. He wrote, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. The the entire Psalm 51 is a beautiful writing of this experience of when he lost this child. David was a man after God's own heart because he would worship through pain. It wasn't that he was perfect. He wasn't sinless. He would make mistakes, but he'd move back towards God. And we have this inclination that when things go wrong or we make a mistake or we sin greatly against God, we feel like we need to retract. But I want to tell you what you need to do in those moments is press in. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to close this thing out. This truth was on display to me recently. Uh, One of the things about me, I have a very strong affection for the ocean. I try not to say I love anything but Jesus and my family, but I will say I have a very strong affection for the ocean. If I can get 30 miles offshore, not see anything else in sight, man, let's stay overnight out there in the open water and let's fish all day and fish all night. I'm all about it. Get me under the water. Let's go scuba diving. Let's see the shark swimming right past us. Let's go spear, spear gunning. Like I'm in it, let's go that. Or let's go to the beach, man. My favorite thing about the beach is when you get to see the, the dolphins swimming by, jumping out of the water, blowing water up in the air out of their blowhole. Like right there is the sun setting. Like I love to be at the beach, playing in the water, being there. It's one of my favorite things to do. And so I try to instill that strong affection in my kids because I want them to enjoy that as well. And recently I was there at the beach with my kids and we're playing and we're playing catch with a tennis ball. And you know, the ball's getting dropped into the water. And one of the times one of my daughters reached into the water to grab the tennis ball. And right as she did, whether it was a small shark or a fish, we're not quite sure. It grabbed the tennis ball and part of her finger at the same time and pulled her hand underwater. And it didn't get her really bad, but I mean, it, there was some blood. And she starts screaming and I you know, run over and scoop her up and I'm carrying her out of the water and we clean it out and we're looking at it. And you know, once the crying ceases, like I, I have a strong affection for being involved in water sports and I don't want her to develop a fear of it. And so once she's settled down, I tell her, now look, I know that that was scary, but if you don't get back in the water today, the next time you come here, it's gonna be 10 times harder to get into that water if you don't deal with this today. And I didn't over push it. I just gave her that and I went back to, you know, playing with the kids and and being involved and letting her, she's out there sitting on the towel, just kind of doing the math in her head. And I'm not, I don't want her to feel like she has an audience. So I'm trying to just keep, pay attention out of the corner of my eye, but I see her work up the courage and she begins to walk towards the water's edge with a little bit of hesitation. And it's interesting because so many other people right on that same shoreline, they have just driven hours to get here. They didn't have her experience and they're just running into the water like it's the best thing ever. And she's processing fear in doing it because she got hurt. She works up the courage and she gets her feet in, she gets her ankles in and all of a sudden she's all the way in again. And not long after she got back in, man, that's when the dolphins showed up and were swimming around everywhere. 
and got these great memories of these dolphins just playing all around, jumping out of the water. And, and dolphins are normally my favorite part of the, the beach, but not that day. And she understood, like, I'm not going to let fear keep me back from what I want to do. That was my favorite part of that beach day. And like church, I understand that sometimes it's hard to get back in when you've gotten hurt or you've made a big mistake and you feel like there's gonna be guilt there, but I wanna reassure you, your heavenly father is waiting to bring you back in. And for some people, it's easy to walk through these church doors and some people walk through these church doors with burdens on their shoulder. But what we want everyone to experience here is that there is joy, there is love, there is restoration in this place. Some of you have been sitting up on the shoreline being uninvolved because of something real that happened and I wanna challenge you. You've gotta figure out what it looks like to get your feet back in the water because there's a spiritual gift inside of you that God wants to use to serve others. There's a part of your mission, your calling that is fading backwards when it needs to be progressing forward. So ask God, what is the step that you need to take to get back to where you need to be? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you call us up out of fear, that you call us out of failure, that you call us when we have been running from you, and that you restore the joy of salvation and you teach us to walk in your way. And so Father, I pray for anyone who has been in here today with a heavy burden, would you give them peace? Would your spirit just rest on them in a way that they know that you are with them today? And give us courage as we take the steps to honor you and pursue the calling you've given us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?